RDT Systems, baby. Dog tested and dog tough. We've got those soft mouth dummies. Now listen, everybody knows that we need more bumpers. I'm not talking about one or two or three. I'm talking about adding bumpers to your repertoire. I like using white or black and white bumpers when I'm training my dogs for marks and even blinds. You can get the orange ones. I dig it. But add a bunch to your repertoire. And I'm again, I'm not talking about three to six. If you're working on T pattern, if you're working on blinds and pattern blinds, you need a bunch, a dozen, 18. The Soft Mouth Dummies by DT can't be beat. Check them out, LoneDuckOutfitters.com. DT Difference. Let's go. Hashtag Man's Best Kennel. It's Gunner Kennels, baby. It's a kit. We had Addison on the, the podcast, a phenomenal dude, always innovating our industry. And one of the things that he brought up is it's a kit. It's not just the kennel itself. You've got the fan 2.0 for your summer, right? Like it's hot out. We got to keep that dog cool. In wintertime, you got the all weather kit. Keeps that poor body temperature in there so the dog doesn't have to work as hard to stay warm. They also have the magnetic door accessory that keeps that body temperature in there. And then the straps. Everybody thinks like, oh, I'll just go to Home Depot and get the cheapo straps. Well, listen, they developed these straps so that basically you can lift a VW bug with the two straps. So if you were to get in a car accident on the way to the duck blind or the training grounds, that dog is going to be beyond strapped and stay safe. Check it out. Gunner Kennels, baby. Slide into the DMs. We'll hook you up. Force fetch. What is it? It's super intimidating to so many people, yet it's not that difficult. I built a step-by-step process that helps you understand it, you and your dog can be successful in it, and it takes the intimidation away of the process so that you and your dog can get to your goals. That's what it's built for. Let me teach you how I do it so that you and your dog can do it. Different breeds, different personalities, problem solving, and more. Check it out. Links in the description. The Force Fetch Course. Baby. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Lone Ducks Gundog Chronicles. You like my jingle? I don't. I'm going to keep working on it. Wait till next week. I'm going to come up with something sweet for you. Savory, some may say. We got a good one. I'm really excited. It's been much asked for. We got the Steinman, the Lyle Steinman. The Black Mamba himself. Mamba winner. SRS aficionado. Dog man. Answering your questions. Telling us about all the good stuff going on in his life. We had a ton of Q&A come in for him. So we're going to do a lot of rapid fire dog knowledge. Stick with us, baby. But you know what we got to do. That you can do, baby. I've had a lot, and I'm really happy to hear this, and I'm really happy to report. A lot of folks have taken my three-month Yukonuba challenge, trying it. It takes, it takes 60 to 90 days for a new diet to assimilate, probably not the right word, but you know what I'm saying, into the dog's body so that you can start seeing differences in their coat, their energy, their fecal matter, all that jazz, teeth, all that. 60 to 90 days. So take that three-month Yukonuba, baby, challenge. 
you got a young dog, you can a large breed puppy. That's what we feed the old prairie dog. Once they hit about a year and change, depending on their body structure and all that, we're going to up them to the adult formulas, which most people are going to dabble with that 2616 for those high performance, a lot of running. You're getting that 3020. That's what we feed the dogs on our truck. And I'm really, really pleased with that new formula. 30 day challenge, try it, and then report back to me. Next up, man's best kennel, gunner kennel, that is. The only kennel that I would suggest you roll down that road with your beloved hunting buddy. Made in America, a company that stands by their product and stands by the unspoken bond. If you'd like to learn more, shoot us a little slide into my DMs at the at Lone Ducks. And I'd be happy to help you get yourself and your dog into a gunner kennel for this upcoming training season, hunt test season, and next fall's duck season. Did you see that your article on gear that you must have for this upcoming spring training season went live? No, I didn't. on their social media today. Yeah, it was pretty good. No big deal. Wow. Check it out. Big doings. Get some. Guess we got published. Yeah. Proud of you. Knuckleheads. Could I spell it right? It was close. Yeah. Close enough to be dangerous. All right. Heck yeah. Gunner with a G. (laughs) Baby. (laughs) Next up. Smoke them if you got them. We got that Traeger rolling. I already had some ribbies. On there, my next adventure is a pork butt. I haven't had a pork butt on my Traeger since I got back home to central New York. So, might have to get me a booty. Smoking that booty on the Traeger. Rub it down. Smack it around. Get yourself one. Welcome to the Traeger hood. (laughs) I don't know if they'll approve of that message, but I liked it. Kent Ammunition. (laughs) (laughs) Segway. Kent Ammunition. Mmm. Bismuth. So we, I'm going to give a shout out to a dude. I don't have it on hand, but we did like that Instagram, you know, send us a a question and he just wrote M-M-M-M-M-B-I-Z-Z-Z-Z-M-U-T-T-T-T-T-T-H. Bismuth. So shout out to you. I love you. I want to hug you and I want to shoot shotguns with you. Kent Bismuth. Only thing I'm going to shoot out of my... 20 and 12 this duck season we got clay bird shooting all summer long to get ready yep. they've got their you know seven and a half clay bird target load um it's called the elite duh. elite duh elite it's in the name real smart marketing if you're elite you just call it elite but get that bismuth baby test it out shoot it love it like it Turkey Send season's it. around the corner for a lot of people down south are already posting turkey pictures online, so get you some bismuth. I know, we're about two weeks turkey. away. Gobble, gobble. Next up, Dogtra. The Dogtra. I just got my Pathfinder. Mm, tell me about it. Couldn't be more excited. They have an app. Have you, you probably haven't messed around with their app yet. It's um, I haven't messed around with the app, but I was a part of their development if you will like six years ago before this thing was a thing and we tested it out on a bunch of coyote dogs down in south carolina and it was in that like r&d process yeah. i don't long story short super cool and so for our pointing dogs you can download the maps on the app and save it uh, kind of like 
we go if we go to another country and you don't want to be running data, you go to the area, download the map, and it saves in your phone. And so now you can drive around without using data on your Google Maps, if you will. Dogtris technology is very similar. So let's say you have a big wildlife management area that you're going to grouse hunt or rabbit hunt or whatever. You download that map. It's on your phone. And now the Pathfinder is tracking via GPS your dog's location, all that stuff, how many miles, all the cool stuff. And so we're going to test that sucker out in the grouse woods this fall with Covey. So we're going to have an impromptu uh, competition for anybody else out there who has one. You can try and find whose dog is running the most, running the fastest, and have just a meathead competition of whose dog's better. I love it. I love it. Great idea, Kevin. It'll be cool. All right. Next up, Waypoint Outdoor Collective. They keep us in tune with you and you in tune with us. And lastly, little shout out to the Lone D. You've all been big supporters of the website, and we want to thank you for that. A lot of hats and T-shirts going out in the mail. So if you are a loyal listener, maybe we've answered your question on here. Maybe we've taught you a little something-something to take home and work on. Do us a solid. Hop on that bad boy, buy a hat, a high five you at a hunt test, I promise. And if you're interested, the Patreons, www.patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. We got a bunch of training tips. We got some good prairie videos on there. We got some handling drills on there. We do live happy hours where me and Kevin are having a beer with you and we're answering your questions live. Um... All sorts of good stuff on there, and between now, today is end of April 2021, so if you're listening to this, you know, two years from now, sorry, you're late. <laughs> you're a little late. You're a little late, but from April 2021 until, let's say, September 15th, I'm just going to say it, September 15th, we're going to announce a winner from our Patreon account. Someone is going on a sea duck hunt with the pit boss, Waterfowl. In Ocean City, Maryland, all expenses paid. You come hunt with me and Kevin, and we're going to shoot scoters and whatever else flies in that spread, baby. Shoot or shoot. So jump on our Patreon. couple bucks. Again, if you just enjoy the show, hop on there, support. If you got a lot of dog training questions, we're happy to answer them there. And that's that. Let's get into the show. What's up, Lyle? Buddy, welcome to the show. <laughs> uh, what a winter trip. Uh we have trained and trained and trained and trained and trained and trained and, trained and uh, had phenomenal grounds. And other than four or five days of a Texas her, uh, winter storm disaster, we, you know, uh, it's been unbelievable to say the least. Uh, you know, three months, uh, met some new friends. Uh, have over 38,000 acres to train on, 30 plus pieces of water um it, it was it was a great experience to say the least so good for it you was, it Hel- was healthy yeah. safe trip yes it was yeah good for yes, you sir. good and i've been paying attention to steinman products the website it's looking good uh overwhelming would be an understatement uh we're doing the best we can to get the orders out as quick as we can as quick as we can, excuse me. Um, 
but uh, it, it's been unbelievable to say the least. We, we just, uh, you know, just trying to get them out as quick as we can. And the, and the product line is, is been, you know, it, it's been great to say the least. Yeah. And just to refresh everybody's memory from our last podcast, uh, Lyle and his wife, Stephanie had the opportunity to purchase a, a company that has been a leader in our industry for holding blinds, bird dryers, uh, stick men, all that stuff, you know, retriever training products. And they took that over and have been running with it. So if you're interested in and or need some of that stuff, check out steinmanproducts.com and we'll overflow his order list again. But all right, Lyle, let's talk about the Mamba. Oh, uh, it was, it was quite an experience. I mean, uh, the Arrington family and, and Lee and Clark been on me to come and run it and kept on me and on me and on me. So I go, okay, we'll come over there. So it was 900 miles from Palestine, Texas over there. Oh my, it was, it was a long ways over there to say the least. I go, my gosh, you guys are way over there. So it was, it was a great experience. I mean, the food was unbelievable. They've got a cook there that made eggs on, on uh, Thursday morning that it's like my, my grandmother used to fix. They were real eggs, okay? And, and I go, oh, my. And uh, I know for lunch one day we had fried quail. And then one day, the next day on Friday, we had fried chicken that was like my grandmother used to fix. And uh, that series had a boat in it, and I ate so much fried chicken that I got in the boat with hatch. And about fell off the back end of the boat. And I said, somebody get me out of the briars if I fall in there. So it was, <laughs> it was, the, the food was worse. The food and the hospitality was, was unbelievable to say the least. Oh, uh, the mossy pond guys know how to put on a spread, don't they? Oh, it, it was, oh yeah, it was uh, smothered pork chops one night. And, and I think I can kind of cook, but. Uh, they had some green beans that I couldn't figure out what he did to those green beans. They weren't smoked, but they were, oh my, they were, they were unbelievable to say the least. But yeah, the food was worth going over for to say the least. Good. So now yeah, you ended up winning that black mamba. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the structure of the event and just touch on each of the series and maybe like the challenges and what made it uh, the spectacle that they're creating? You know, uh, the, they had three great judges. Uh, Al Arthur judge, Joel Porter judge, uh, Cody Springer judge. So you had three quality judges from three different venues. And the first series was a hunt test that uh, it, it was rough to say the least. I mean, it was mean. And what they did was each judge scored each mark and each blind from a scale from zero to 10. And so they stayed apart and they judged each one and then they'd score it and they'd go on to the next mark and the next mark and then the blind. So you would get an average, say the most you could get on a mark was 30. So if you got an eight, nine, whatever it was, it averaged out. Or if you had a blind that wasn't very good, even if you got a zeros, you still got to go to the next series. 
And so the next series was a, uh, what did I say? We had a hunt test, uh, trying to think, a field trial set up. And they let everybody play the first two series. Gotcha. I'm now, trying to think now Mr. Arthur is legendary in the field trial world. Yeah. Like, like forever, him and his father have been in the upper echelon of field trial. So to, what was it like being judged by him? Oh, he, he's extremely knowledgeable. He judged me in the crown, uh, several years ago and at Mayflower at Pepper's Pond. And I mean, he, he kicked a teeth in there. I mean, his bird placement was, was unbelievable. All these guys, you know, you could hear them talking back and forth when they were judging and, and they were right on, right on their thought process. You could go, okay, seven or 7.25 or 7.5. They were pretty accurate with everything they did. Um, they, they let the dogs mark. Uh, if you handled on a mark, they were going to get you. Um, they, 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 it was very consistent. That's probably the biggest thing that you've seen, but you've seen three judges with three different sites insights on that thing. Right. Um, uh, yeah, bird placement, poison birds. I mean, it was, it was, uh, extremely fair and you could follow the rules you mean you can follow the rules and how they were scoring it yeah it was there wasn't a lot of rules i mean they kind of played into let's let's do marks let's do blinds uh i would say the bird placement was was probably 11 i mean they they yeah and i mean you got a field trialer you got a a uh, guy that runs hunt tests, got a guy that runs a grand, all these events. I mean, they had a great insight, even on short birds, long birds. Um, uh, like I say, the bird placement was phenomenal, to say the least. Cool. That's really cool. And you ended up, you know, doing a pretty big sweep of the event. Talk about that a little bit for me. Yeah, I mean, it was hatch one and and zeus was second ranger was third and we had some other dogs at at six seven somewhere in there but um you know i had i had zeus winning to be honest with you um and and hatch ended up winning but it, it was it was extremely close as far as the scoring but you get into those points and clark was doing the scoring and you take two or three or four points lead it that was huge uh and they were going by high score was better than low score. And so the more points you scored, the better you're, you know, you're better off you were, you're going to be. Uh, but it, it, I like the uh, scoring each mark and each blind separate uh, is what I really like the best about that. Yeah, it seems like, uh, you know, you're not playing golf. You're trying to get a perfect score of 10 and the more tens you mm-hmm. get, the higher your score goes. So I think it, it's comprehensive for most people. Yeah, it, it was – yeah, you'd come off the line and, and within – like that, you would have a score and you'd go, okay. But it, you, you didn't have to worry about um, – like in baseball, you got a strike zone. Do you want a high fastball, you know, outside, inside, outside? You knew you had to go up there and you had to kill it every time and then make a decision, okay, uh, he haven't, he doesn't have a clue where he's going. Let's put him on the bird, get some points, and get out of the deal. Right. 
And you knew like one series on uh, the field trial setup, you had a possible score of okay, three marks. You had a possible score of, of 10. Every one judge, you could score a 10, which you couldn't really get. So you, you had 30 points from each judge. And then you had, so that's 90 points. And then each judge would score you from zero to three on trainability of line manners. Gotcha. So the most you could score in that field trial setup was 99. So you kind of had going into that thing, you go, okay, the best I can get is 99. So if I get a 92, 93, that's pretty strong. Yeah. Exactly. I got you. So now you won it with a dog. Uh, his name is Hatch. Mm-hmm. And I, there's a, I don't know how to put it, but the naysayers are going to nay. They're going to say some things like, well, they bought that dog and, you know, shows up and wins it with a dog they bought and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I'm going to first off say, on my opinion is a lot of that's a little jealousy. We don't really have to dabble with that. And I want to ask your opinion on the dog himself and the acquiring of him and then taking him to an event like that and bringing him to an elite level. Well, I mean, there's very few trainers that are going to bring up a seven week old puppy all the way through the system. And whether it be a hunt test, field trial, whatever it is, okay? And and Hatch was a dog that, you know, Hunter called me one Friday morning, and he says, I think I got a dog for you. I said, okay, so Hunter's with Danny Farmer. And I said, What's okay. What's his last name again? Hunter Hastings. That's right. I promise you Hunter's going to win Nationals. Yeah, he's a young guy I, that's killing it. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. You know, uh, Hunter was thinking about coming here to work for me, and, and he had an opportunity to work for Danny, and I said, I think that's a good op- a good option for you. So he did. And so he calls me, and he goes, well, I think I got this dog for you. Well, you know, Roy Mackey owned the dog, and, and he was out of genetics that I liked. But I had several dogs out of Sailor, which is Roy and Joanne Mackey's dog. Uh, and, I, and I liked that demeanor, and I liked that temperament. And so... What? Hold on, sorry. What is the demeanor and temperament that you like? You know, very calm, uh, very relaxed, um, very intelligent. Uh, go long, go short. Just a different kind of, you know, different kind of animal. Yeah. That sailor was. Um, he produced a lot of night. He's probably one of the most underrated dogs uh, in the field trial. You know, he, he was just that kind of animal, very consistent, always in it, um, good in the water. He, he was just very well-rounded, and and he was not bred as much as he should have been bred uh, with the genetics that he had. Uh, but I had several dogs out of him, and I liked every one of them. I mean, I didn't, you know, they were nice to be around. They They weren't obnoxious. They were just nice dogs to be around. Cool. Sorry to interrupt um, you, but go on. No. And so, so I talked to Hunter and I go, okay. And, and I said, I, you know, I'd like to look at the dog. And 
And I said, well, he, you can look at him here. I said, okay. So Steph and I got in the car at 12 o'clock on Friday at noon. And, and I told Hunter, I said, I'll be there at 7.30, 8.30 in the morning. 7.30, 8.30 uh, Saturday morning to look at him. He goes, okay. So we get there and, and we look at, we look at hatch and we run two or three setups and, uh, he doesn't look very good <laughs> at all. And I said, uh, I'm good. I said, you know, I said, Steph, write, write, writing the check. And she looks at me funny and she goes, seriously? I said, yeah, writing the check. And so we put him in the truck and, and we go over to the national open and see some friends that we needed to see. And, come on back north and she goes you know basically have you lost your mind i said well i did my homework you know i did my homework i know what he is you know and in an hour i i did some research and and i said he'll be fine and so we get him here and and we train hard in november and december and uh you know we, we, he was a natural uh you know the first time we showed him a gun which he'd never seen he, go, he followed the gun barrel left, right, whatever you wanted to do. He was so calm and relaxed. And you get into a hunt test or you get into an SRS or the Mamba, he just gets getting calmer. I mean, he may, he may run around when you're getting ready to air him and run him, but you walk up there and, you know, you put him in a boat, you know, and you, you put him in situations that he's kind of been around a little bit and he acts like he's been around it forever. And you go, Oh my. And you, and you just, you know, you just, he just is so pliable. Uh, but it goes back to, you know, the sailor and, and I mean, Hunter and Danny did a great job training him, but you know, it's, it's kind of like a, you know, you know, the dog had open points with four different handlers, but he's a, I would say realistically, he's a one person handler. And within a week of having him, uh, him and I were buddies and pals. And I mean, it was just like, okay, you're my, you're my person. That's all I needed to know. And you can be holler at him and all, and he's not going anywhere, you know, without me saying something to him. So, you know, it's just, it's just one of those deals, but you know, there's, there's, you know, there's just not very many dogs that start in one program and go up through the system and achieve things. Right. It's just not going to happen. I mean, it's just, it, it's very, it, it's very rarely like that. I mean, you can take all your top field trial pros and you know, that the dogs are doing well with, did they start them as puppies? Probably not, you know, and, and the, the situation is, is not every dog is designed for that program. And we've had several dogs here that have went on to other trainers that have achieved a lot more success there than here. So, and it's the same way here. There's been a lot of dogs that come here that couldn't adapt to that particular training style that excel here. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of putting it too, you know, that if I sent you a dog, it might do better for you than me because 
of your personality and your timing and your the dog's perception of you, right? And sometimes I would use the analogy like, man, I don't know. Maybe most people probably don't want to talk about this, but I'm going to. You ever had a dog that resents you because you're the guy who puts pressure on them and you're the guy mm-hmm. who, who makes them do what they are supposed to do? And so, you know, for me, it might not run as beautiful as it should because he's like, man, Bob, you've been a jerk to me through tea pattern and force fetch and collar conditioning. And I'm making him do stuff, right? Like I'm pushing his buttons. I'm, I'm teaching him, I'm pushing him and pushing him, I'm pushing him. And then the owner shows up and runs him. And all of a sudden he's like, ah, my buddy's back. And he runs the best freaking blind he's ever ran in his life for the owner, you know, where he's just, yeah. They, they, it's not all the time and it's not every dog. It's, it's on the more rare side, but I would imagine that that can happen, you know, with this, a situation, not that this situation is that, but where just moving to a new handler, the dog can take a breath of fresh air and say, Hmm, let's build a new bond. Let's build a little new trust. And, uh, you know, that can change things. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, yeah, yeah, you're spot on with that. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, uh, several years ago I had a dog that, you know, everybody has what you call a bad penny and, and the female was absolutely gorgeous. She was out of Chavez. And I mean, if it could go wrong, it would. And I remember I put her up for sale and she had like five master passes and, and I priced her and I said, could we run her in a qualifying? I said, absolutely. Could we run her in a doubleheader masters on the same weekend? I said, absolutely. And I said, Hey, no matter what happens over the weekend, she's still the same price. He goes, okay. So the go, the dog goes out, passes both masters and wins the qualifying. Dang. And they go, wow, you weren't kidding. I said, yeah. I said, you know, I told you that we just couldn't connect on the same page. And when you find a dog that you're just not getting the full potential out of, as a trainer, to do what's right for that dog, you say, you know what? I'm not the pilot for that dog. That takes a big person to say that. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. So. I mean, there's, there's several instances and I mean, again, it goes back to SEC football in Alabama. Okay. Does Nick Saban get the best athletes in the country consistently? Yeah. Consistently he he does. And does he know what to do with them? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. So, I mean, that, that's the best way of, of pushing that potential out of any dog yeah at any level you know um now be a teacher yeah yeah i think it all those analogies are right i i think what folks have to understand is every dog is different and in the different hands of of someone who knows what they're doing and works with them and builds a bond with them they can adapt and and some are going to adapt on a higher level with another handler because of just personalities and and dogs, Mm -hmm. dogs are individuals 
I don't want to personify them too much, you know, humanize them too much, but, but they do. And, and that's a cool experience that you had with Hatch. Um, as far as the competition at the Mamba, a lot of the big dogs were off in other areas. And, and so that kind of gave you an opportunity to test out the Mamba and the rules and all mm -hmm. that. Will you be back at the Mamba? Will you go back? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and do you think you doing a little winning is going to make the other guys say, hmm, I'm coming after him now? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know about that. I, I, I know that several people have looked at that game and are starting to put a, a retriever challenge together. I think you're going to see several events next year uh, that are very similar to the Mamba uh, that are going to pay out money, you know, with sponsors. Uh, like I say, there's several guys out there that, that have starting to put things together. That's really uh, cool. But I think you're going to see a bunch of, I think you're going to see a bunch of them uh, happen. And, and that's a good thing. You know? Yeah. It's fun. Yeah, it's, it's another dog game. I mean, that's the big thing. It's just, you know, what we do with our with our athletes is just another bonus. And and, and like I say, I think there's uh, big events coming. Cool. Well, I'm proud of you for winning the old Black Mamba Challenge. And I'm excited to see what Hatch does in his career. Now, uh, that brought me – I wasn't going to ask this. I didn't really know. Um, the recent SRS that you did well in. Was Hatch in the top? Did he, did he qualify for the crown? Yeah, he, he uh, qualified for the crown the weekend before in Giddings, Texas. So, uh, you know, I'm going to continue to run the eight best dogs that I have uh, at every event that, I, that the SRS provides. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, uh, we went to Lake Charles, Louisiana, which was a homecoming. Um, I, my first winter trip in 2003 was on Lake Charles, Louisiana. And for three years, I wintered there. And to see, ah, to still see the devastation of what those wonderful people went through, um, still upsets me and so you know driving you know uh, to Curtis's place that where I you know trained um uh, was emotional I mean I'll just tell you it was uh, it's where I met John and Suzanne Kerr uh it's where I brought Sadie home to Amanda uh it was it was uh it wasn't emotional. Uh, winning that was more rewarding than anything because that's that's where I started. Uh, those were my friends. Uh, that's where I cut my teeth. Uh, yeah, it, it was uh, it was humbling. Cool uh, to see to see that. Uh, and to feel bad for these 
for these people. I mean, I just, I mean, they, they are the, you know, there's a lot of tough people out there and there's a lot of tough communities, but, uh, my, my, to be that strong, uh, to keep, to be that fighting. That's the best way to put it. Cool. Well, I'm glad you had success there and I'm really excited for, you know, watching you this summer and digging into the fall with, you're going to master national, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So that'll be exciting. And then after that, or it, the crown. Yeah. Uh, we've kind of ventured out, you know, riches in Grenada, Mississippi, getting ready to run the spring grand and in the fall grand's about three and a half hours from us. So we're, we're kind of, I'm not, but rich is, you know, I'm proud of very proud of rich, uh, to step outside of a comfort zone and, and, and to run the grand and, and so it, it's, we've got some exciting things, you know, happening here. And, uh, you know, it's it just keep growing is what you want to do. Yeah. If you ain't growing, you're dying. That's right. If you're not learning, that's, that's it. And, you know, one thing too, Bob and Kevin, I, I, again, people, I'm starting to get phone calls about training questions. And, and, and again, I'm there. Just call me. And I mean, I, I've had several people on the way home yesterday call me and, and got questions and they go, we can't believe you're going to spend time. I said, that's the only thing I got is to give someone hope and help. I mean, not all my answers are correct, but you know, I've, I've been lucky to have some of the greatest teachers in the world to teach me. So if I don't help somebody else out, then, you know, uh, you know, I'm not done my job and what, what I was lucky to have. Well, that's a hell of a segue, mister, because Kevin's about to jump on. <laughs> and It's like you knew it was coming. It's like you knew. We're going to do a rapid fire. I call it shot for shot. It reminds me of my college, uh-huh. reminds me of my college days. <laughs> and we're going to go back and forth on some hot topics that on Instagram and our Patreon and some of your Facebook stuff came in to... Help them with their dogs. Some of them are young dog stuff. Some of them are puppy stuff. Some of them are opinions like male versus female, stuff like that. So let's rattle sure. them off. Kevin is going to be our moderator to keep us on track. And Great. I'm excited. Are you? Yes, sir. Hell yeah. Let's go, Kev. You're Love in. Love it. Uh, <laughs> well, Bob, since you already kind of uh, alluded to the male, female, uh, we can start right there. Uh, Lyle, you you can go first, sir. Do you prefer when when you pick up a dog uh, to run with? Do you prefer a male or female, or indifferent, and why? Um, I've had great success with females. Um, every one of them has been an alpha female, and so that's basically like having a male running a male. So uh, you know, I, I don't, I really don't have a preference. You know. Um, I've had great success with, with females and, and males. I, you know, I, I really don't. I mean, I think it's just preference, yeah. you know, um, uh, you know, other than coming in season when it's usually not a good time. That's the only, the only drawback of a female. And, and, and the bad part about most of my females, uh, they probably won't ever be bred, which is sometimes upsetting. 
Um, but no, I, I think, you know, you know, it's what someone's preference is more than anything. I wouldn't say one's better than the other. Um, it's just what, what someone likes. Um, you know, the, the, yeah, the, the quickest success, you know, is usually a black dog. I mean, that's just, just the average, but I mean, there's a lot of great yellow dogs out there. There's a lot of nice chocolate dogs out there, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's anything male or female what's better than the other. Bob, what do you think? Uh, I agree. I don't think there's one better than the other. I think it's per dog, right? A dog that tries hard, a dog that is a team player, a dog that's happy to work every day. They're giving it their all. So I don't care what color they are, sex they are, as long as they've got that attitude, that goes a long Mm way. Now, personally, I enjoy females a lot more, but they do tend to be more masculine. Like they do, I wouldn't necessarily maybe say alpha, but they're, they got a swagger about them. Like, mm-hmm. like my yeah. dog Memphis or Quinn, they have that swagger and confidence and ballsiness and guts and work ethic. And I really like that in them. Um, and I had a friend of mine one time, whether this is true or not, whatever, it's more funny than anything. But he said, females come into heat twice a year. Males are in heat 24 seven. they always got it on their mind and i always i always thought that was funny and you know to some degree true you know so i look at it like when you're looking at picking a puppy you know if you're get annoyed by a dog peeing on every bush and and blade of grass that's walking by you know get a girl and (laughs) if otherwise then a boy's good too that makes sense that's fair um Lyle, you've had a lot of well, you've had a lot of success throughout your career, but recently, you know, I, I feel like it's been pretty exciting for you. Hit, how do you kind of get your mindset on test day? Like, is there anything you do when you wake up in the morning to like, let's go, we're doing it? Hey, by the way, real quick, Kevin, can you do me a favor and shout out the name of the person with their question that help everybody loves to hear their name on the radio? Yeah, good call. I'll do that on the next one. Okay. But yeah, so, on, yeah, so, yeah, ahead, so like your mindset, Lyle. Like, how do you how do you get yourself in the zone? Mm. You know, I, I toss and I turn. <laughs> uh, I'm usually awake at three o'clock. Okay. So I'll read sports or I'll read something and I might fall back asleep and four thirty or five, I get up and, you know, it, it's like I tell people it's, it's better to call me at four thirty or five o'clock in the morning than five or six o'clock at night. And they go, you're kidding me, right? And I said, no. So most of my guys call me at five or six o'clock in the morning. And I used to make posts in the morning or send emails in the morning. And I get an email back going, go to sleep. What are you doing up? So they, it's funny. So I don't make any of those posts anymore, but, um, you know, mindset, I just, I just get up, I have some coffee. Uh, I watch if I can't have ESPN in the morning and, and see what's going on, I, I, I can't quite get going good. Um, you know, I just, I, I don't know. I do not want to know what a test is or an SRS setup. I don't want to know any of that. Zero. And, and like if we have a master test and they go, well, we're going to show you test dog. 
uh, here and we'll start in the morning. I'll just walk off because I don't want to know. Because if I know what the setup is or the test, then I'm role playing all night long and I can't sleep. Gotcha. Does that kind of make sense? I, I, I don't want to know because it keeps me up. No, because I'm funny. dissecting, I'm dissecting every dog's strengths and weaknesses, and and I'm going, okay, I need to do this or that. This is what happens. I, I just, you know, so I'm not going to sleep. I'm always just stay up. So, but yeah, there's the, there's no really no preparation. The morning of the test, do you have anything you like for me? I'll get there. I like to watch test dog. Um, nine times out of ten, test dog isn't ready to run what they're set up, so it's usually a little bit of a debacle. Mm-hmm. But what I like to look at is I like to get after the dog runs, and you see what they do. You you kneel down at the line, and I like to just look where did that bird fall. Mm-hmm mentally no mm-hmm. like on average this bird is landing near that blade of grass mentally note that mentally note some of the terrain features and just i don't over prepare i don't under prepare but i like to just have an idea of like if things go awry i know general vicinity of where that bird is i'm not going to get up there and mm-hmm. be like where did that one fall Right. I, mm-hmm. I've got it. I'm trying to be as prepared as possible. And that's my mind frame. Like before the test, I've done all my work. I've worked months to prepare for the test. So, you know, the week mm-hmm. leading up, you're just working. You're not doing anything crazy. You're not doing anything different. You're just getting it done and show up to the test and, and send it. Because if you did your job, you don't have to worry about anything. But at the test, I like to just, the only mindset I have is make sure that when I sit that dog down and the birds go off, I don't get caught with my pants down saying, where did that one land? Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, I guess, I guess what I, what I do is I get up, uh, at five o'clock or before and I go air dog. I feed dogs. I give everybody a little bit of food. Um, put them back on the trailer. And then I like to show up at least an hour before it starts at least. Okay. And then I'll get the dogs off in the order that I'm going to run them and air them one at a time. And then I'll put them back on the trailer, of course. Yep. Uh, Depending on, you know, temperature and things like that, you know, it's going to be a hot day, you know, things like that. Uh, That's kind of what I watch for. So, yeah, so I guess I do have a routine. Mm-hmm. Um, master-wise, I, I take notebook cards, okay? And I put the number of the dog, of the dog, the name, and then any notes on those note cards that I'm not sure about. Does the dog spin left? Does the dog spin right? Just to have it on a note card, even though I know which way the dog's going to turn, I want to make sure I have my notes. And then I always make notes on grading marks and blinds. Okay. Was it a great job, a good job, ugly hunt? The blind was a B plus. I didn't like this. You know, I make notes on every dog 
whether it be one dog or, or 12 dogs. That way I can go back on the way home or Monday morning. I can look at my notes and I make those notes after you can see me. If I'm, if it's an honor, I pull my note card out and I got a pen and I'm writing stuff waiting on the next dog to come up. Because if you don't make the notes right then, the time you get back to the trailer or your truck, it's a whole lot better than it was when you're seeing it. That's something you said one time on one of our podcasts that I took to heart and I started doing as well, because I would find myself getting to the third series and being like, after, I mean, and I'm in a little different boat because I'm running junior dogs and senior dogs and, you know, I'm all, I'm driving here, I'm driving there, I'm trying to hurry, you know, I feel scatterbrained at a weekend test. Um, and I'm sure you do too, but the point is if I make a note that said gut hunted the third mark in the yeah. first series, yep. um, had to handle on this mark. Well, now I know what I got to do by the third series on Sunday. I don't remember what they did mo- uh, Saturday no. morning. You just remember they got no. through it. So those notes no, and, helped. Well, and, and it's good if you have clients and that way you can pull your notes out and go ugly hunt, great mark, horrible, not a very good blind. And and I think that's the biggest thing is to be honest with yourself and to be honest with your clients is, you know, when you give a report back, the report should be the same report as if your owner was standing in the gallery watching the same job. Great point. And, and so, you know, you want to be truthful, but you want to give the best report. And, and like with us is we always give the bad before we give the good, whether it be training or a test or whatever it is, because if, if every time the dog is doing wonderful and great, then you're not training hard enough. That's just, that's just my belief. Um, I think before we jump into the next question, I want everybody to hear that one more time. If the dog is doing perfect all the time, you're not training hard enough. I've had questions all week this week Mm -hmm. and they're struggling uh, on one thing. And the answer is you're finally pushing them. Like, cause I kind of know where they're at, right? They've asked enough Mm -hmm. questions and you know, Mm -hmm. maybe they're on our Patreon, but you're finally pushing them. You're finally teaching. You're mm-hmm. finally breaking a barrier, and, and now the molding is happening, and out the other end is going to become a better dog. They're not supposed to do it perfect, so I want everybody to hear what he just said. All right, Kevin. Well, I mean. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, that, 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 that's correct. I mean, there was a stretch in Texas for like two weeks. I couldn't get a correction. And and I go, Dennis, what am I doing? And then we go out to the big woods, and I set up this mark. And I got two dogs out of 20 do it right. And I go, uh, I got my answers today. <laughs> yep. You know, so, yeah, I mean, so, yeah, keep your standard high no matter what it is. It, it, you know, junior, senior, masters, you know, whatever it is, keep your standard high. Cool. All right, Kev, what you got next, buddy? Yeah, I like that. Uh, our our buddy Jay Smith asked uh, – he, he was interested in chatting with you, Lyle. He was wondering, how often do you run drills with your finished dogs, or do you pretty much just run marks and blinds? Um, and that was how he put it, too. 
like, uh, let's see, where am I leaving? Like Thursday morning before we went to Lake Charles, uh, we do a Rex car poison bird drill, uh, which is kind of hard to explain. I'll, I'll put it on my, I'll do when I, next time I do the, that drill, I'll put it on my Facebook page so you can kind of see it. But, you know, I may do drills on before I get ready to leave. Uh, well, there's, there's, uh, I don't mean to, I don't mean to burst your bubble, but I think as much as we will push people to go see that, try and describe it. Cause that's what, that, that's what people feed off of. That's what they love. Okay. Uh, like we set up a holding blind, it's like 50, 60 yards. And we put a bumper about four or five feet in front of that holding blind. So the first thing we do is we walk up and we say, here, sit dead bird. And we run the blind straight at that holding blind. Okay. And then what we do is the next thing is we throw a bird right to left. And you can go left to right, but right to left and know them off that. Run a poison bird blind under the arc to a white stake. Handle, whatever you got to do, pick it up, come back, pick up the mark. Throw left to right short. Run a blind about five to six feet to the right of that mark. To a white pole, pick it up, come back, pick up the mark. It's all about control. So, a uh, uh, in-depth key relationship drill. Yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, very controllable. Um, if you have a dog, say for instance, okay, that's not very good in the waters and a water cheater, okay, before you leave the driveway. Do a little tune-up water blind, water force drill. If you have a dog that blows through marks, then do some short marks before you leave. You, you've got to adapt and change for that animal. Cool. Train every dog different. Give that dog, make that dog stronger by making his weaknesses better. So to overall answer this dude's question is, even though you've got high-level dogs, you're still running drills. You're not just going out yeah. and setting up four marks and three blinds and going to water and three marks and two blinds. You're doing drills to improve their skill set. Correct. Run the five-leg uh, pattern blinds, do all that stuff. It's all about control. It's all about lining. Uh, if you got a dog that's flaring the holding blinds, stick out a holding blind out there. Make them run tight to that station. Um, no, uh, blinds are boring. Excuse me. Drills are boring. They're horrible. Everybody wants to run marks and blinds. Everybody. It's the sexy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I'm only putting on what I do. Marks and blinds. I don't put on the drills and the here heel and the holding blind drills, all that stuff. Cause nobody wants to see that, but that's probably the most important thing you need to see. I agree. I think you win and lose in a lot of those areas, buddy. Yes, sir. All right, next up, Kevy. Yeah. Uh, Estrule. <laughs> Estrule. As, as appreciate the, the question. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce your name. Uh, <laughs> any drills to work through a dog that's breaking down and hunting when you're trying to run a blind? And if not, maybe drills, like, what would you do as a correction? I know, yeah. 
right? Like maybe maybe work so, us through what what you would do, Lyle. Okay, what run that by me one more time? What did you say? Yep. Uh, um, I'll, your your I'll, dog is breaking down and hunting instead of like running a tight line when you're running a blind. So how would you fix that okay. dog? Uh, go to your go to your five leg pattern or a three leg pattern and stick up white five gallon buckets. Sight blinds. That's right. Okay. That's probably a dog that has hunted a boatload. And or and, make- and or hasn't been hasn't had the opportunity to run the five leg pattern blinds, lining pass, white buckets. Yeah. Like he might have just gone from T pattern to straight cold blinds, you know. Some some folks possibly do that and I think your your nail on the head right there, Lyle, is teach him again, build that confidence on driving. Yeah, and I, I mean, if you've got a, a tremendous hunting dog, that I mean, you're killing a ton of birds and pheasants and everything else like that. That dog is going to use its nose, and it's very, very hard to convince that dog when you say "dead bird" to pop his head back and go, "Okay, I'm under control. I don't use my nose. I'm going to be controlled." So. Uh, a, a dog like that, a guy has to understand. Okay, wh- what am I doing? Am I am I a guy that wants to hunt, or am I trying to run tests and all this stuff? So there's a fine line between there. But you know, when when you have a dog like that, you know what you need to do in the beginning is we need to teach these dogs to use their eyes before they use their nose because the nose is always going to kick in later. Excellent point. All right, Kevy, what you got? Yeah. Uh, our friend R.C. Barrett uh, was wondering if uh, anybody could provide some strong mustache tips and then also how to get a, <laughs> a, a sharp sit on a whistle. Hmm. So, um, Lyle, I don't know if you've seen me in a little while. I haven't seen you in a while, but I was rocking a pretty, pretty <laughs> phenomenal mustache. For the people, they thought it was funny. I think it's funny, and it's it's since gone. I'm back to mildly clean shaven. But uh, so, all right, answer the real question of the sitting on a whistle. How do you work on that as a young dog? Ooh. Oh, hmm. uh, you may want to use a check cord. Okay, um, do short pile work and the minute you hit the whistle you know hold the check cord with leather gloves on of course and, and try and pull that thing tighter on a quick sit uh do obedience you know you're walking blow the whistle tweet sit you know crop or a little bit of tap with the collar um that that's hard to fix to be honest with you uh loopy sits are extremely hard you know Whew. yeah that's hard to fix um, I'd probably go to like, again, check cords, um, pile work that the minute you blow the whistle, you, you know, you kind of get light pressure and the dog understands the minute I sit quick, I, I let off of it. Uh, you have to, some trainers will go with electric collar on the top of a dog's back, you know, around the flank area. Hell yeah. Uh, that's some. That sometimes helps no different than trying to, you know, break a bird dog to wing and shot. Um, do you do that? 
or on it, specific cases? I have, but it's been a while since I've done that. Uh, another thing you can do is if your dog loopy sits to the left or loopy sits to the right, you know, I'm looking in the backyard, I'm looking at my chain link fence. You can go up against a fence left or right where you can do pile work where the dog, say it's got a loopy sit to the left. So your chain link fence is on the left and the pile works down there and you start hitting the whistle, well, he's not going to turn into that chain link fence without hitting it. Yeah. Does that kind of make sense? 100%. Yeah, you you, you got to think, the biggest thing you have to do as a teacher is you have to think like dog. Don't, don't think like person. Okay? So you've got to adapt on, on making the mousetrap better. That's what one of my old mentors taught me. Make the mousetrap better. And that's something you can do with that is, you know, go up against the fence, you know, because that dog's going to turn tight if he has to loop to the, to the left because the fence is there. Right. You know, he's going to start sitting tighter. And you have to do it 65,000 times, you know, but it'll eventually get there. So one thing that somebody taught me back in the day was when I guarantee I asked the same question, you know, to someone like yourself, you know, 10 years ago. And all those tips were what they told me. But the point that I never forgot was he made a comment like, Bob, does your dog sit when you tell him? Well, yeah. What is that? And I go, well, that's obedience. He goes, the whistle is the same. So how many times did you work on sit with treats, with on leash, with off leash in your house? Mm-hmm. All Like, you nailed that. Now the whistle is the same. So the whistle becomes an extension of obedience. To sit on that whistle quickly is being an obedient good dog. And so making sure that all those things you did as a puppy to make sure they sat when you did it and they got a treat and you send us a message saying, look how smart my 10-week-old puppy is. He's already sitting for that treat. Well, now you're asking to sit on a whistle going 100 miles an hour to a back pile all that whistle is is obedience. So if you build mm-hmm. a strong foundation at your side and you've taught it and then you've put a little pressure on it with a stick and then the collar and all that jazz, all that is is obedience. So a slow, loopy sit is procrastination on doing the right thing to some degree. Correct. That's how I look at it. Yeah, I would say probably your sit command is one of the most important commands that you can possibly have. Yeah. So just think about it like obedience. If you've mm-hmm. got to practice your obedience, you're also practicing that whistle sit, and and it's going to give you leaps and bounds in the future. But build a good, strong foundation and work up. And all the tips he said with the, the check cord and the leather gloves and all that stuff, that's how you get there. But but it is just obedience. Don't think about it anything one other way. Just mm-hmm. sit. Instead of saying the word sit, you're blowing a whistle. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Very good. Very well put. Yeah, we had uh, we had another question come through from some, some friends at Bottomland Kennels, and they asked, what are positives and negatives, in your opinion, uh, of having a double-sided dog? <laughs> um, I got enough problems running a dog from the left side. 
So if I have to worry about if I'm going to put him on the left side or the right side, I'm probably in trouble. I so, I love this answer. I freaking love that answer. Go on. I mean, the only time – oh, my, this brings back a lot of memories. I had a dog that healed on the right, okay? And the wonderful lady that owned this dog, this dog finished two nationals, okay? Um, she was disabled on the left side. And so she had to run the dog from the right side. And I had to think twice as hard how to run the dog from the right side. So there's a lot of great trainers out there, Hall of Famers, that will tell you why. Tell me why you want to go from the right side. So, and I mean, it, I, I would say, can you die? Can you deepen to that? Because I maybe some of our listeners don't understand why uh, someone would double sided heal their dog. Well, there's there's been people that say, okay, if the, if the mark's thrown left to right, you heal the dog on the right, and so the dog understands, you know, to stay on the right side of the gun station, and and that's kind of the belief. But I don't know if if two sided healing's ever been done on a blind. I don't think so. Or you're trying to hide the flyer in a field trial when it's 30 yards and the long marks four or five hundred. I, I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I just, I just don't know if there's any benefit from two-sided healing. I, I, I've not found it, and, and I'm sure there's been people out there that have great success uh, that that do it, but. Uh, again, I, my mindset is, you know, I've got enough troubles running from the left side. Uh, you know, uh, I, I'm probably just, you know, you know, the, the only way that you would want a two side heel a dog is, is if you shot a shotgun from one shoulder to the next, I guess that'd be the only situation. Yeah. So you know, to get the noise away from, from that. Side, yeah. I guess that would be it. So you nailed it, and I feel the same way. And and to maybe just touch on it a little bit further, I would say like if a bird is thrown right to left, and you have the dog on your left side, you, that the reason for double sided healing is if it's thrown from right to left, you want the dog on your left side to stay on the left side of the gun and hunt the left side. Mm -hmm. If the bird is thrown left to right, you want him on your right side. So he's going to stay on the right side of the gun. And Mm -hmm. that's like the mind frame of why people do it. And, or maybe if you put them on the right side, when you're doing like a cheaty water entry, if you put them on the right side, that's going to tell them you better get in the water. Here's my thought. And I think what you said, Lyle is exactly how I think too. A, my dogs are one-sided, so they're always on my left because I'm the same way. I don't. I feel really uncomfortable when they're on my right. It's like mm-hmm. throwing a football with your opposite hand. It's awkward. Mm-hmm. But so when they're on my left, if they saw the mark, go to the mark. Mm-hmm. Enough said. If you saw the mark, go to the mark. Don't backside the gun, which is another question, if you can find it, Kevin, that we'll touch on after that because that's a good segue. But if you saw the mark, go to the mark. If I point you in the water, 
I've taught you to get in the water. So I don't need to give you a handicap to swing you around over Correct. here. Now, Lyle, I've had probably two or three dogs, which isn't a lot, but they were trained to double-sided heel, mm-hmm. and they were nervous nellies on the line. I would agree with that. Yes, sir. So they were trying to overthink things, and when yeah. you're trying to line them up, like, hey, good, right there, here, here, good. And they'd be like, wait, what? And they'd whip around to the other side. Correct. Yeah. They felt pressure on one side or the other, so they would flip around. Uh, yeah, 100% correct. Yeah. That's what you'll see. Yep. And, yeah. and if they're super confident, and, and like you said, there's national champion field trialers that mm-hmm. are way, 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 way better than Uncle Bob that double-sided heel, I just look at it like I'm taking a decision out of their mind. It's one less stress they've got to think about. And the dogs that I've had that were nervous Nellies on the line, they would whip back and forth, and I'd have to fix that before I could actually get them to settle down and look out and, and go straight. Um, so I like one side, go to the bird, find the bird, pick up the bird and bring it back to me. If I tell you to get in the water, get in the water. Yeah, and, and I mean, if you're a person that that hunts a, a tremendous amount and, and you shoot a, a shotgun with your left shoulder and you hit them on the right, that's that's understandable. That's a different situation, yeah. um, because, because you're trying to protect that dog's hearing, uh, and that's fine. But yeah, I mean, there's just you know, that's the only place I guess I would see a place for it. Yeah. Now, one of the questions, and maybe Kevin's looking for it, but I remember a dude. Uh, that asked, how do you correct a dog for backsiding the gun, or do you? Um, yes. Uh, good question. Um, exposed gun, okay. Uh, what we do is let the dog commit to backsiding a gun. Okay. Don't handle the dog before he does the backsiding of that particular gun. If you do that, he is not going to learn. Okay? So depending on that animal, let that dog get past the thrower. Say it's a left or right mark, and the dog's going to the left side, and the dog gets 10 or 15 feet past the gun station. Tweet, no here, and depending on the dog, you may want to recall the dog all the way back to the line. If you think you need to apply a little bit of pressure, then apply a low amount of pressure. Okay? Throw the mark again. The dog does it again. Apply a little more pressure. Recall. Try it again. A little more pressure if the dog continues to do it. If you're in a situation where you cannot win, you're applying an an enormous amount of pressure and you're not getting anywhere. Have your thrower, and this is what comes to be very important, is nothing will replace a person in the field. Nothing. Give them a walkie-talkie. Give them uh, a hand gesture. But there's sometimes you just have to give up and go, okay, this dog's never going to figure it out. Help the dog out. Get out of the situation and keep that in your thought process the next time you do a set of marks like that my agree now would this be an instance where you might call the dog back 
to like an infraction point where they made that decision you can do that and no hands, you can do that like no hands back see if they make Excellent. a good choice yeah this but you're you know if you're in a situation going okay i gotta get out of this deal i'm not i i've recalled the dog enough the dog's starting to get nervous the dog's starting to bug out on me you go you take a deep breath and go okay i'm gonna get out of this quickly yeah, you could bring the dog back to where the dog made the mistake back and see if the dog learns from that, that particular situation. Cool. If he continues to go to the left side of the gun station where you're not supposed to be, then you need to increase it. Okay. Or you need to move up. Or you need to move over where it becomes black and white, not gray. Right. Nailed yeah, it. It, that yeah it, it's a hard situation but but sometimes we have to leave our ego in a truck what about what about if a dog goes to the correct side of the gun like and and goes maybe under the arc and then <laughs> runs behind yeah yeah um because that's where i have a little gray area like if they hunt over there i got a problem but if they like it, it's just a that's a tougher one because they were on the right side of the gun and they they just faded and hit a factor and sucked over. There's and, nothing you can do. Yeah. Okay, Here here here's our thought process here. Okay. You went to the right side of the gun station. If you're not going to overheat or get run over by a car, I am going to let you hunt. Okay. So no bird boy help taking a step out. No, hop, hop, no, no. That's hunt. like doing a kindergartner's math. Well, that might be hard for me anyways. <laughs> yeah, uh, me too. But yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So if that dog comes back and that dog has got a, a three foot tongue hanging out, then you need to throw one more mark. Okay. Because you've got that dog's attention. That dog does not want to hunt that mark any more than it has to, let alone we don't want to watch him hunt for 23 days. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, but your your bird your bird throwers out there going, you know, you can tell when a dog's starting to get hot. So you just say, "Hey, we okay? We're good." You know, if the dog's never going to figure it out and it's going to start getting overheated, then you go, "Help me out." Throw the dog a bird, and we'll go on. Now, one thing you just brought up that I, I think I caught on, and I don't know if our listeners might catch on, but throw one more mark. Sometimes yeah. letting a dog hunt their guts out yes, and letting them get to that point of like, oh, that sucked. <laughs> then you throw them another one, and they're like, well, I better yeah. watch this one better because I don't feel like doing that again. That makes. I'm hoping that makes sense to everybody. Lyle, it makes sense to you. Absolutely. Right. It's kind of like a story. Uh, Alex. Yeah, Alex Rodriguez tells this story about Patrick Mahomes the second. Okay. Patrick was six or seven years old in New York, where the Mets and the Yankees used to practice together. Okay, and his father played for the New York Mets, and so. What a lot of people probably don't know is Patrick Mahomes' godfathers are those two gentlemen, okay? 
And so the story that, that Alex Rodriguez tells the story of is they're in the basement doing batting practice, and Alex Rodriguez is hitting balls off the tee into the net. Patrick Mahomes, the second, is putting the baseball on the tee for a Hall of Famer. And Alex Rodriguez tells the story. One more. One more. One more. He's putting the ball on the tee. One more. One more. Until he could hit it, right? Absolutely. And Alex Rodriguez tells the story as Patrick would always go, one more. There was always, that was his always, one more. One more hit. One more hit off the tee. Yeah. So it's like that. You're asking to dig, for that dog to dig, to dig deep down into its soul, into its heart, to go get one more bird because you know those muscles are burning. Just like us going out and running, you don't want to throw up and puke because oh, we can't go any farther. Ask him to do one more with being safe. Yeah. If the dog's too hot, put the dog up. But, you know, if you've hunted four acres, you, you, if you help that dog out, you're not letting that dog learn. You're, you're, you're band-aiding, you're crutching, you're enabling that dog to get better. I'll add a little bit more to that because Kevin wants to jump in with another question. I dig his moderation skills. When we're talking about this with letting that dog gut hunt, I think a lot of our listeners have younger dogs, not Mm -hmm. SRS dogs, not master national dogs. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are younger. And so I still think a lot of that plays a role with a young dog. But I also want to maybe make note of we never want a dog to learn to quit. And so if a dog is out there and they're hunting and hunting and hunting and hunting and hunting, hunting and they start to come back to me, mm-hmm. that's when I would ask my bird boy to absolutely hay and help. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. If that dog's a younger dog, absolutely. But, you know, what you want to do as a teacher is if you're throwing marks, if you don't think that dog's seen the mark, throw another one. If in doubt, throw another mark. Yep. You know, again, be a teacher, and and if that dog doesn't see it, then take a white five-gallon bucket out there and throw that thing with the bird. And I guarantee if you throw a white five-gallon bucket out there, 99 out of 100, that bird is going to pop out of that white bucket. promise you. That's a good idea. Yeah, that's what we do for young puppies, you know, young dogs. Uh, throw white five-gallon buckets with birds in them. You know, you got to be able to see it to mark it. That's right. That's right. All right, Kev. We had a great question from Stephen McDonald, Patreon friend of ours. Uh, he asked, do you have any advice for getting better eye contact on blinds when faced with factors like a stiff wind and lots of scent on the ground? Hmm. Uh, you mean as far as the dog seeing the handler? Is that what he's talking about? So I, I think I know what he's talking about. And I actually have a young dog right now. So I, I love this question. Um, 
because I'm interested in hearing how you handle it. I think it's a dog who's probably fresh off of, you know, tea pattern and five leg and they're starting to run white pole blinds um, Mm -hmm. where you send them out, you stop them and they're like sniffing and looking and heads going this way and they'll look at you and then they look over here and then they look at you and then they look over there and they're like figuring things out, but their, their eye contact isn't focused fully on you and you're trying to cast them. Um, Hey you, what are you doing? Look at me. Um, try something like that. Just, just say, Hey, you know, wave your hands in the phone. Uh, what I'd also do is maybe do some lining drills. There's nothing out there. There's no uh, flat as a pancake. Uh, that, that's that's tough. Uh, but also in the same sense, that could be a dog that's avoiding avoiding you. Does that kind of make sense to you? You may not be. You may be bugging on you. How about that? Does that make kind of weird sense? It makes sense to me, yeah. So bugging on you, describe that to somebody. Um, avoiding you. You're, you're talking to a, a child, for instance, and you're disciplining that child, uh, and he's not giving you eye contact. You know, I'm saying, are you listening to me? Are you looking at me? Um, you know, you ever... You ever had your mother grab your chin and say, look at me? <laughs> that's, uh, that's a weird way of saying it, but that, I, that's kind of what it is. Are we talking this week or just in general? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So I, I'm, I'm tracking you, though. That Yeah, I can tell you the dog that's doing it to me right now is avoiding the cast because she's nervous to make a mistake. Um, and I yeah, or a dog. That. And I, like, uh, I talked to her. So exactly what Lyle yeah. said. Hey, hey. Sit, good, sit, good, 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 cast. And so when she's making on contact, I'm keeping her attention with good, 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 mm-hmm. cast. And reinforcing the positivity and that she's doing right. I am. And then right. if she looks off, right. hey, hey, hey. Because when I do a hey, 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 she's going to get a bumper, yeah. right? So when I, hey, hey, yeah. you know, it's not, you know, I'm not yelling at her in a negative tone. Hey, right? It's like, hey, 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 hey. Oh, look at me. Good, 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 back. And so my tone changes. I'm just teaching. I, she doesn't know Jack. Right. right? So, right. so having that focus cause on the T pattern, she had great focus. Now that we're doing the hard stuff, she's a, she's nervy and avoiding mm-hmm. avoid. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head of why she's doing it. And I would say he's probably in the same boat. Um, young dog running. And then for the nose on the ground thing that he mentioned, I think that dog probably just lacks confidence in the cast that he's getting. And therefore I would say run more blinds, run more. Like it's all the only way to get better is by doing it. And they don't do it perfect as soon as you come off a T pattern field. So be patient and have your white poles with a bucket on them and your milk jugs on them and Mm -hmm. your five legs. So you can, you know, Lyle described it in our last podcast. So shout out to that one, go back and re-listen, but they know these patterns. They know where they are. And so you run them to one, stop them, and cast them to another. And mm-hmm. as soon as they take that cast, their eyes light up because they see the destination and they go to the destination. And 
you know, that kind of confidence when you give an angle right back off of the line that they were taking and they look up and see it and go will help prevent the nose on the ground start going hunt mode. This actually works perfectly yeah. with a, the next question that we have. So we're going to jump in here from Ron Van Dyke. Uh, Lyle, what, do you, what are some things that you look for? Some triggers maybe uh, to know when to transition from a white pole blind to just cold blind. Yeah. Uh, let me go back to that first, the last question. What I would do also is I don't, I don't believe a lot of happy bumpers, but if you got a dog that's doing something like that, I would toss a couple white bumpers and then hold that bumper in your hand. Okay. So when you're casting that dog, that dog is, is, an addict at looking at that bumper going, are you going to throw me another happy bumper? Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. So that dog is focused on you and you've got that bumper in your hand and you're casting left, right, whatever you need to do. That dog's probably going to focus on that bumper because it just picked it up. It's a cool idea. I haven't thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. Try that. Try that and just go see if that works for you. Um, Transitioning, uh, transitioning. Good Lord, again, transitioning from the five leg to cold blinds. Th- that's a good question. You know, you want to run a lot of pattern blinds before you start going to cold blinds, because I think the biggest thing that a lot of dogs do not understand is the difference between marks and blinds. So if you teach that dog in the five leg pattern, here, dead bird, dead bird, or you've got someone out there throwing a mark in that five leg, here, sit, mark. And you throw that mark, go get it, come back here, sit, dead bird, back. Okay? So you're you're getting ready to go to cold blind. All right? And your first cold blind takes 10,000 whistles. But you get the dog there. And the next one takes 7,500 whistles. And your next one takes 5,000 whistles. And your next one takes 2,500 whistles. And the next one takes a couple hundred. As long as you're making progress toward the blind, you need to be patient and slow down. Okay? The, the problem we run into is we're into a now society. We want everything now, and we're just not patient enough. So when you're running blind, if the next one's less than the last one, are you not making progress? Yes. Be patient. If you have to, put the transmitter in the truck and lock the truck door. Hmm. Sound advice. Just be, just be patient. We, we try, we're trying to make these dogs something that they're not ready for at some unbelievable age. Just be patient. Yeah, just, just take your time, run cold blinds. Come out, set up four or five cold blinds today. Come out tomorrow, run the same cold blinds. The next day, if you're lining every one of your cold blinds, then you need to go set up some more cold blinds in another field until you do that. You just need to be patient. 
one thing I would ask of you is, you know, you made a comment about 10,000 whistles, 7,500 whistles, 5,000, 2,100. When I try and teach people about cold blinds and handling a dog, I don't care where they're going as long as they're in the beginning, as long Uh as they're stopping, looking and trying. So if I give a, a left angle back and they sort of go left angle back, whether it's a left over or a straight left back, they went left and they're doing it. Cool. If they go to the right, tweet, you know, and I, I, I guess it depends on the dog, but tweet, no, cast again, or tweet, no, here, sit, cast, you know, attrition being like, come back to the place you, you made the mistake, cast again, you know, maybe a tweet, Nick, whatever, like there's, there's many ways to skin that cat and I'd like you to maybe mm-hmm. dive in on that for me on how you do it, but, but I, I want that dog in the beginning to have a big blind. I don't want them to, I don't, their first blind shouldn't be 50 yards because to get them there is, is hard. A 50 yard blind is harder than a 150 yard blind because you've got to keep them on that line tighter and therefore you're blowing more whistles and they, that, you know, as soon as they go 10 yards to the right on a 50 yard blind, it seems huge where if they're 10 yards off on a 200 yard blind, they're making progress. So I like to have a bigger, loopier, go move with my cast through the field and just weave, weave through the field with me and work with me and, and then they get there. And then as they get better, you're making that weave tighter and tighter and tighter and they're, they're taking better, straighter lines and they're casting better, more confidently. But if every single time you blow that whistle... It's to them, they're thinking, well, that wasn't right. Well, that wasn't right. Well, that wasn't right. Now they don't know where to go. They're gonna, you're going to suck that confidence away. So I understand your, dis- your description of if it takes 10,000, just keep going, make progress, keep working. I understand that. But the literal thing would be more let them carry a cast. Let them yeah. carry a cast. Yeah. Just weave through this field going where I teach you or tell you and just go and go and go and life is good as long as you go in the general vicinity of where I point and you stop good and we'll get you there. What do you think on that? What is your... uh, Oh, yeah, I I agree. Yeah, what I would do is start out with a five-leg pattern. Running, you know, run five, five blinds, you know, right down the pile. Go out, run some coal blinds. And you're right, the reason you've got four or five or six blinds out there that you want to be successful. So if you're trying to go to a blind and you go, okay, I can't get to this one, but I can get to the other one and get out of this situation. That's wonderful. That's good awesome. dog. Good dog. Good. Yeah. I mean, you, you've got enough blinds out there that you don't have to run five blinds because they're out there. If you're trying to go to one and you only get to three, then what I would do after that is go back to your five leg pattern and run that dog and build that dog's confidence. If you have a dog that does not have confidence in running blind, if you continually run the five-leg pattern, then that dog will get confident and pick up its speed. You always want to leave 
the field in a happy situation. The five leg is designed to apply pressure, not the field. Great point. All right, Kev, what you got next? Our buddy Gannon Noor uh, asked, are there any supplements that you give your dogs? (laughs) Oh, my. Um, Absolutely. Um, Zing Dog Supplements have been a sponsor since uh, 2008. My goodness, that's terrible. Um, Yeah, every dog in the kennel is on a product called Hunt Dog Hunt, which is designed for everything. Joints, it's got anti-inflammatories in it. Uh, when we're working a dog hard, we're looking at four or five pills a day. Wow. And, yeah, yeah. And then when the dog is in an off season, we're looking at two or three. But if you have someone out there that has a dog, that's a little stiff, a little sore. I'll give you a bottle for 30 days. And I promise you within 30 days, you will see that dog be more flexible. Uh, It's amazing. I've given that thing, you know, I'll give a bottle to a guy and he goes, oh my goodness gracious, my dog couldn't jump in the back of the tailgate. And 30 days later, he's flying in there. It, it, it It is a phenomenal product to say the least. And there's a lot of great products out there, but this, the, the hunt dog hunt product is a dog is a product that is human grade product. I mean, you can take it yourself if you wanted to. Um, so yeah, we've used that. Uh, thirsty dog is a product that is probably the most well-kept secret that people, you know, we use it, Thirsty Dog is kind of like Gatorade for dogs with not a crash, okay? And anybody in the South, there's a lot of trainers that use it on a daily basis when the humidity gets high. Uh, We used it uh, heavy this spring. You know, we go get ready to go to an SRS or the Mamba, and especially when the temperature is going to reach 90 degrees and we're starting on Thursday, we started all the dogs on Tuesday, loading them up. Uh, there's another product called Itchy Dog. If, you, if your dog has dry skin, uh, that thing works great. It really makes the coat shiny. Uh, there's just so much good product line in that thing. Uh, but yeah, we, we use an enormous amount of supplements. Uh, a lot of minerals, a lot of uh, clobite, a lot of stuff like that. Uh, T.P. Hamilton was wondering, uh, he training down in South Carolina and, uh, you know, the heat of the summer, was wondering if there are any training drills to stay sharp but not overheat. Anything you do that's kind of short, uh, sweet, and to the point? Yeah, thirsty dog. Yeah, make sure you load a dog up like that on thirsty dog. Uh, lining drills, uh, if it's hot, use a three-leg uh, pattern field. Uh, use a four bumper lining drill, you know, here, heel sit, uh, use holding blind drills, put your dog in there, go from one holding blind to the next, um, run nothing but singles. 
you know, if you're going to do some singles, you got three or four marks set up, and after two marks, the dog's too hot, put the dog up. Yeah, just work on obedience. Uh, you know, if you can get out early in the morning or late in the night, just just be patient. Yeah, I think I think that's great. You know, overheating. I think we talked about on the last podcast with a, a dude from Georgia, and we kind of touched on it. So maybe everybody go back and listen to that uh, one. But physical exertion dog doing the work is one thing but then when you're asking them to do stressful things and maybe they're getting pressure and they're feeling that pressure whether you're really doing it or they're just feeling it right perceived pressure mm-hmm. that gets that dog even hotter and so you've got to read the dog's body language and know like all right we've pushed it kind of too far on that blind or that mark you know let's take a minute and let the dog cool down and we'll come back to the last two marks. Um, you know, things like, pant, like panting is how they cool down. And so their mouth is like alligator wide open and they're just heaving in air to try and cool themselves off. That's a sign. They get wobbly. That's a sign. Uh, Ooh, yeah. So those are signs that you need to just get the dog in your AC you know, I kind of touched on it last time. So like, don't put them in an ice bath. Don't, don't overcool them down too fast. That's really, really, really bad, but get them in the AC, cool them down, take a break and come back later. But I think you hit the nail on the head, Lyle, when you are in that South Carolina heat, work on mechanics, work Mm -hmm. on the good stuff that will pay dividends in the long run. And yeah, I don't know. It, it's something that scares me. I can tell you that. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, if you've not had a dog get overheated, then you probably not trained long enough. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of here's a helpful tool. Okay, that trying to put this this may save a dog's life okay uh find the biggest syringe that you can find and you can go to any pharmaceutical company and get i mean a big syringe and if you have a dog that overheats then you need to cool that dog down quicker by using a big syringe and cold water that inserted in the other end Okay, and you keep doing that, and that will cool the the body cavity down quicker. Okay, I don't, I don't follow you. What other end? Uh, the other end, not the mouth end. Kind of like an Emma, enema. <laughs> an Emma? <laughs> I got a couple. Yeah, an Emma. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there's several of my friends that are in Louisiana that that carry big syringes, and they said they've used them multiple times. Doc. Dog even gets hot on one mark, and you just cool them down that way. But, yeah, I mean, when it gets hot, you just need to have access to cooling that dog down in a baby pool, you know, some ice, some cooler water uh, that can cool that 
body core temperature down. And there's certain dogs that come out of a truck or a trailer that are hotter than others. We all have them. So what we try and do is with a dog like that, we all know which ones they are. We run them early in the morning and put them up. And there's other dogs that wouldn't overheat if it's a thousand degrees out when 20 marks, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but yeah, there's, there's just certain situations that you just got to be cautious. And I think on the flip side with, you know, dogs can get too cold too, and you got to watch body language and, and, oh, and the weather yeah. and what's going on and just be smart, plan ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Correct. Great point. Um, we, I think we got one last one here, Bob. Uh, I'm looking real quick, Kev. Um, I've got a buddy. He's a fellow Patreoner. He says, you know, he's getting into the training game. He's working a full-time job and has a few dogs that come into the kennel. And he asked, how do you manage the dogs and a healthy wife-life balance? And I think anyone who knows you and Stephanie know that you got a awesome relationship. And so I think this is a good one for you, buddy. Yeah, that's, um, it's hard. And, and you know what? I admire every trainer that has a full-time job that comes home and is outside right now training dogs. Cause it's still alive here. And I promise you, there's so many people out there right now training dogs that work an eight or nine hour shift and comes home and goes and trains. I don't know if I could do it. That that's I don't know if I could do it because when I get done training and doing my job, I I come in the house and I'm spent. These guys go out and train. I love the amateur trainer. That, that's just crazy. Um, but yeah, if you have a spouse that loves the dogs and wants to help you do it, you're, you're so far ahead of the game. And, and, and that's, that's, that's commitment. But boy, that's, that's, that's a good question. Great question. I think, Um, I think a lot of, guys and gals in the game have had a hard life in that and that that's the truth yeah yeah Yeah. i mean i mean as a professional trainer this 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 life that it's not a job it's a way of life and we spend more time with these athletes than we spend with our spouse or our children. Yeah, I think, it, you know, it being a priority and, like you said, having them be a part of it and them enjoying being a part of it mm-hmm. is pretty crucial. We got a couple and, more. And I love Oh, go ahead. I love seeing kids at hunt tests and, and wives at hunt tests or SRS events. Um like one of your main competitors there, Stephen Durrance, prime example. Yes, absolutely. I mean, and, and I mean, 
you know, Stephen and I agree to disagree, but I love seeing his children grow up. And I mean, there's a lot of trainers that on Facebook and all these, these pages, Instagram, that I love when they post pictures of their children because I'm growing up with their children because my children are grown up. Yeah. And so, yeah, it is. It, it is special to see these guys include their children. Yeah. And it's bringing the next generation in. Oh, absolutely. We have a few more. I, I found another group of pictures I, I sent to Kevin um, with a few more questions that are very, very, very common. And I know that we've covered in the past and maybe me and you haven't. And I, I would love your opinion on um, Kevin. Do you got one ready, buddy? Yeah. Uh, our friend Jordan Kearney was wondering uh, your thoughts on when was the best age to begin collar conditioning a pup? Super common question. Um, I'd say five, six, seven months of age. Um, but very light. Okay. But you're going to have a puppy that you're not going to have to collar condition until you're maybe done with force fetch. Or if you have a puppy that's extremely vocal barking and all this stuff you go oh boy i'd like to collar condition you right now so i can put a bark collar on you right uh so uh you know every one of them is different um but i would say six seven eight months you know i i just at that age i i just be very very low level very patient you can you can always go up on that collar, but you can't come down. Right. Yeah. Be, be patient. Uh, we talked about running blinds a lot tonight and our friend Tyler asked how you would fix popping on blinds. And I guess first, could you please explain popping? Like what, what do you specifically mean by that? Cause some people may not know. Um, asking for help before you blow a whistle. Is that about right? Yep. Yeah. So how I would mean, you that, fix that with the, a dog? So yeah. Um, so that is what it is. What what it really is is the dog. You say back. Dog runs out and turns and looks at you. And what the confusion. dog. Yeah, what the dog is doing is turning and looking at you, and it's because they're asking for help. Confusion. I don't know where to go. Tell me where to go. Um, Go back to the five leg, because the five leg is a known situation. Okay? Yep. Or force to the pile. Go back to force pile. Force to the pile, whether it be 10 yards, 15 yards. You know, there's people that force to the pile 125, 150 yards. So, if a dog pops on a blind at any level, don't blow the whistle because if you blow the whistle, it is concreting or saying, hey, good dog. That's right. 
He's asking so for he's help, and you're giving him help. At, right. You're giving him help, but if you blow the whistle, you're going, good dog, you did a good job, you popped. No. Even if you're at a hunt test and a dog pops, don't blow the whistle back. That's right. Yeah, just be patient, but go back to the five leg, go back to force to the pile, and, and build confidence. Usually popping on a mark or popping on a blind is a confidence situation. I'm going to give you another scenario because – uh, one way I like to connect with people is is telling them that this stuff happens to me too. So I got a dog right now that is a quintessential fire-breathing dragon. All right, he's that balls to the wall, say my name, he's hard-charging, ready to go. Now that it's time to run blinds and it's my idea, he's lackluster. You don't feel like being told what to do. Just let me go pick up a mark. And some of his, like, we could have a white pole. And he, good, right there. Ears perk up, back, and he'll pop. To me, that's lack of effort. And so I look at popping as, in general, it's from lack of confidence. And I'm going to fix that how you were describing but then there's those instances where he's just not trying hard. Right. And for me, at least how today I dealt with it, was it was black and white lack of effort. I mean, black and white. I know you know where you're going. And I turned it up, back, back, back. And all of a sudden, guess whose attitude changed? And he started hauling butt to where he knew where he was supposed to be going. And I think I probably have to take a step back with him and do more of my pattern blinds and five leg. I call them lining pass, but it's the same idea. We've we've talked about Uh this in different podcasts, but it's the same idea. I have to go back and work on that. But at the end of the day, he'll do phenomenal at those. And he'll cast all over the field on the five leg. And he'll do great. But then when we go and we have to put it into real life, he'll lightly jog. He'll look back at me. He's just not trying hard because he doesn't feel like being told what to do. And therefore, Mm -hmm. I look at that as middle finger to me, middle finger to you. Let's go back, 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 back with some continuous pressure. And then when I let off of it and he's running – Generally speaking, when I'm doing that, he's like, oh, yeah, and he knows, and he goes right to it. Or he doesn't. I let him carry that cast. If he doesn't know where he's going, right, he's carrying that cast. I'm not going to blow a whistle right away if he gets offline. I'm just going to let him carry it, and I'm going to let him feel good about just getting out of there and rolling, and then I'll stop, and I'll handle him. But so many people will blow too many whistles, and suck some of that confidence away. So, like, let's say I gave him some pressure. He popped back, neck, back, and he turns and rolls. But he rolls the wrong direction. Tweet. No, back. That's wrong. He turned and went. I want him to turn and go. Get out of here. Don't pop. Let him go. I don't really care where he's going. 
I'll handle you from there, but let him feel good about just getting out of it. What do you think about that? Did I describe it clear enough? Oh, absolutely. And and here's what I want you to do with that dog, okay? <clears throat> Starting tomorrow, okay, what I want you to do is throw your marks. He's in the holding blind, okay? Throw the marks out there. Don't let him see them. So you got three marks and two blinds set up, okay? Okay. I want you to walk out. And I want you to run five blinds with this dog for a week. So how would you throw no marks. you All right. So you got holding blinds out there for these marks? Yeah. Yeah. Just just say, hey, uh, throw say you got a triple and two blinds set up. Mm-hmm. Just go ahead and before you even go out there. Shoot the marks off or throw the birds out there. Okay. No no marks. Zero. And I want you to run blinds with this dog for a week. Okay. Okay. And then you call and tell me how that works. I will. Because what you're doing is you, you, you've got a dog that can flat mark. Yep. It doesn't want to run blind. That's right. So the dog is out of balance. That's right. So a lot of our clients and friends out there understand what a teeter-totter is, right? Yep. Okay. So pretend marks and blinds are on the left and right of a teeter-totter. So what you want to do is to make sure that that teeter-totter is balanced. Because dogs who mark do not like to be handled and dogs that can run great blinds cannot mark. Say that one more time because I loved it. I think it's really good. Okay. Dogs that can mark do not want to run blinds. Dogs that can run blinds can't mark. I like it. I think because you're yeah, you're you're it. out of balance. Okay, I had a golden retriever that was a show champion that could run any blind that my SRS dogs could run, but he always liked to be controlled. So Rita sent me this dog, and she goes, "I want you to look at this dog." And so he had a, a million pounds of hair. He was a show champion and not a master hunter yet. I had him a week. And I go, I don't really care about the title. But I'll train him for free if we split the stud. She goes, no. <laughs> I said, okay. He was a 23rd golden retriever in history with a master title and show champion. Okay. So I got up one day and I go, okay, I'm never going to run another blind with this dog and only throw marks. And so his marking come up because I quit running blinds. So if you have a dog that can flat mark, 
you want to run more blinds because you're keeping the teeter-totter in balance. Cool. And Jim Gagne told me once that if you don't keep a balance in a dog, the other will suffer. That's cool. Good insight. And it's hard to, it's hard to keep a balance with that because you see these, some of these guys go, they've got a year old dog or a two year old dog that can flat mark. How's your blinds? Well, they're not very good. Well, if you only run marks, then you, you know, you should be good at marking. You're not being controlled. So when you start putting the blinds and the marks together, they, the marking falls off. So if you've got uh, 12 dogs and you're in training and you've got two dogs that can flat mark, but they can't run blinds, you want to run more, more blinds and marks. And if you've got a dog that can't mark, then you want to throw a bunch of marks. No brainer. That makes complete sense. And that's a weird way to put it. But if you keep in balance, then both of those talents will will start to even out and come up. Cool. All right, Lyle, let's do one more. Kevin's coming in with it. I like this one. So Mr. Reese Bow needs help with a high drive dog not being steady at the line at a hunt test. At home? Never makes a misstep. What do you think? Again, it goes back to sit. Okay. Um, if you'll sit there, I can title my barn cat Swenson. Okay. That that's probably the biggest problem that you're going to run into because you, you can't trust them. Uh, you can go to holding blind grills. You can do to a lot of things, but if you're breaking your test consistently, then that's a dog that you're going to have to train 30 days a month and run one. You're not going to be able to run that dog not a double header, of course, but you may be able to only run that dog once every two months. And if that dog continues to break, then you need to hunt the dog. You need to find the dog a, a hunting home because you're never going to fix it. There's just nothing you can do for that. You've educated that dog. Maybe you ran that dog too early in its career. Um, yeah, I, that's probably other than water cheating. Breaking is probably the biggest problem you're going you're going to run into. Yeah, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head where they maybe not this gentleman, but it sounds like it just ran too many in a row. Dog got test wise, you know, think about, let's think about how we train. You got a collar, you got a healing stick, maybe you got a steady tab, maybe you've got a choke chain. You've Mm -hmm. got all these training implements that the dog knows. 
And let's say, you know, the next piece of advice would be like, show up at a club training day with 40 dog trucks and trailers and it looks like a hunt test. And then, but you still got a healing stick. You still got a choke chain. You still got, you know, he comes out of the holding blind, he messes up, swap. As soon as you get to a hunt test and they come out of that holding blind like a dink and they don't get that loving swat that they've been used to, all of a sudden they're like, you can't get me. Yeah. And so I would say that your 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 advice is sound, but I, I would add that you need to take a summer off, bro. Take a summer off. Just train. Grind into yeah. that dog sit. Grind into that dog. Come out of the blind nice. Grind in like built you've built an unfortunate habit of breaking. Now it's time to take time and patience and Lyle said the word patience like 30 30 times on this podcast patience patience don't run them this year who cares that dog's gonna be third live to 13 you can run them next year if it's breaking at tests break the cycle train train he does it perfect at home cool train train get him in hunt test environments train 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 Build new habits. Breaks on a live flyer. Guess what you got to do? More live flyers. Train. 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 And and if you can teach the dog a new habit and be patient and say, you know, I had a dog one time. He, he was getting vocal. And he was like senior hunter going towards master. And was getting vocal at tests and getting vocal in training and breaking here and there. And he just was on his own accord. I didn't run him an entire hunt test season. And it was painful. Because he could do it in training, like this guy's saying. In training, yeah. he can come out and smack it. Da, 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 da. But because I didn't put him in that environment for almost an entire year, and we just trained and trained and trained and trained and trained and trained and trained. We went out and go whap, 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 title. Send him home. Mm-hmm. Patience. Maybe take a second real quick and talk about being test-wise, and I think a lot of folks fall into that problem. Yeah, I mean, um, I would say 75% of the dogs run a test before they're ready. I mean, you should train. If you're getting ready to run a junior test, you should be almost ready for a senior test. If you're getting ready to run a senior test, you're not very far from a master test. And the same way was started, seasoned, and finished. Okay? Um, you, you have to be patient and who cares about a, uh, a year-old or two-year-old phenom? You know, what are you going to do for me at five, six, and seven in that dog's prime? That's right. You know, don't, don't just slow down. I mean, I had a guy that we were working on some UKC papers, and uh, he was on me, and he go, I said, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm getting ready to run a started test. I said, well, like they're like three or four months old. Yeah. Well, why? Well, it's ready. 
I go, why? And he goes, okay. I said, tell you what I need for you to do. Could you mail me back the AKC papers? And I'll, and I'll get you, you know, the other paper. Well, why? Well, that way, if I got them, you can't enter the dog. <laughs> and he goes, oh, my. I said, do you see where I'm going with this? He goes, yeah, I think I do. I said, but, I mean, you know, be patient and slow. Do you want to have a five, six, seven-year-old monster? You know, how many times do you hear about that phenom that's a year or two years old? All the time. That you, that you never hear about again. All the time. All the time. Yep. Got, yeah. its, got its finished title at a year and a half. Got its finished title oh. at a year. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're talking one in a gazillion. You know, and that's funny because that, the biggest question, one of the biggest questions I get is, what's the youngest master hunter you ever make? Well, I don't know. Why don't you ask me the youngest Hall of Fame dog I've ever made? Yeah. We're, be patient. Yeah. Again, be patient, slow down. I mean, it, it's kind of like dogs and kids. We push them, we push them, we push them, and we burn them out. You know, always be a teacher. Cool. Do what's best for the dog or the child, not what's best for our ego. I think that's a great way to end our podcast Mr. Steinman you are a gentleman and a scholar I appreciate you I appreciate everything that you do for our podcast listeners just that was a ton of rapid fire questions and I think we helped a lot of folks tonight so congratulations to you on what you've accomplished this year thus far and it's going to be a big summer and a big fall I hope I get to see you in person I think I'm I'm trying to make it down to the crown this year. Uh, right. Me and old Shannon uh, got to work on some things, but you might be seeing me in person sooner than you'd think. So I hope. Love to. Yeah. I hope you and Stephanie are well. Please give her my best. And I will. We'll get you on the podcast again, maybe midsummer or something like that. And sure. Prepare for the crown and master national. Well, and I mean, Bob, here's the deal. Anybody who's got a question, I've always told you this, and, and I, I don't think people believe it, but, you know, call me. I mean, uh, 816-522-9650. Boom. I, I'm here to help you. I, I just want to make you better, make you, you know, go out and train. Um, whatever I can do, I'll, I'll help you. That, that's, that's the only thing I can do is, um, you know, I don't have all the answers and maybe you got a question that I got to go ask someone to help me with. And, you know, it's, it's like Matt Neal's coming this summer to stay. And, and, you know, I told him I'd help him. He goes, okay. And I said, you know, Matt, all my mentors, they're gone. They've left me. And so sometimes I have a question and, and I can't call any of these guys because they 
they've left me. So, uh, no, I just want to, I just want to help, you know, amateur. I don't care who it is. I, you know, you got a question, pick the phone up, call me, you know, let's get better together. That's all we got to do. Thanks brother. That's the spirit of this podcast. And I appreciate everything that you've brought to everyone who tunes in from all over the world. You know, I thank you so much, and I can't wait to see you in person, and we'll be in touch here shortly. I can bet you that. Thanks, Lyle. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Kevin. Hey, patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters is a community that we built to help you and your dog on your journey to next duck season. There's videos that don't hit YouTube. There's happy hours where we drink a couple beers and I answer your questions every other week. And by the way, if you join between now and September 1st, you're entered to win a hunt with me and Kevin and other Patreon members. So jump in. Let's go. Join the community. We appreciate it. And we'll see you there. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today.